0: Musicians. Let's turn to uh, Romans 12, please. Romans chapter 12. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, we can sing praise to your name. We thank you that we have a God who loves us to worship him. We thank you for a God that's worthy of our worship. We thank you, Father God, that you love us and that you sent your son to die for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have of having your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be together to study your word. And we do pray that, Lord, as we look into your word today, that you administer our heart's needs, that you challenge us by its truth, you be exalted and you be praised and that lord you give me wisdom as i seek to explain your truth that lord god might explain it according to your will and that you would receive all the praise and all the glory blessed now we pray for this we ask in jesus name amen we said that romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 give to us the responsibility we have as believers towards god Then we said in verses 3 through 16, the epistle of the Romans explains to us our responsibility to each other within the body of Christ, within the local church. And then finally in verses 12 to 21, where our attention is turned from our responsibility to each other to doing right towards all men. And here in these verses, we're given a list of responses of godly character. We saw last week that these responses begin with God wanting us to refuse to give revenge, to reveal His righteousness, and to pursue peaceful living. Today, we want to note that we're told that God wants us to depend on His help, first of all. God wants to depend upon His help. Verse 19 Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, rather give place unto the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, saith the Lord. And we know that Paul has been telling us that you and I should never cause trouble, or you and I should not be the cause of disputes of any kind. If there is to be trouble between us and other people, whether it be in the church or outside the church, let it be the other people who are causing the dispute, let it be the other people who are causing the problem, let it not be ours. That's what he says in verse 18. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. If it's at all possible, you and I should do everything we can to prevent conflict, to prevent disputes, to prevent problems between us and others. And then in verse 19, he goes on to say, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I repay, saith the Lord. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Here in verse 19, we're told that one way in which you and I can help preserve peace is by you and I not seeking revenge, not seeking to avenge ourselves. If someone harms us, we're not to avenge ourselves. Because when you and I avenge ourselves, then you and I are not helping to preserve the peace. As he's just been speaking on verse 18, you and I live peacefully with all men, as much as possible, as much as life in us, we're to live at peace with all men. And one way we do that is by not avenging ourselves. Because when we avenge ourselves, you and I are not seeking peace. We're seeking conflict. The phrase avenge not yourselves means do not exact your own revenge. Oh, don't seek harm for those who oppose us. Now notice the special way in which he deals with these last three verses. He says, dearly beloved, dearly beloved. The apostle here shows his genuine concern for the church at Rome. He really is concerned about them and the interaction they have with other people in their society in which they live. They live in a very... Heathenistic live in a very ungodly society. And as believers, in that society, they're always finding things that they are opposed to. It's their way of life because they are different in the world in which they live. And Paul is concerned for their behavior, for their response, their well-being. And says, so Dearly beloved, he's concerned about their welfare. And he knows that if any indulge in a spirit of revenge, they'll make themselves miserable. He said, when we seek revenge upon others, we don't necessarily make the other person miserable, we make ourselves miserable. In fact, sometimes you know, the person who's upset us would be happy if we would seek revenge because, you know, they can engage in this conflict with us with just cause. So when you and I seek revenge, when you and I seek to get even, then you and I find ourselves making ourselves miserable. That's why we're not to be vengeful. And then Paul adds another piece of information to what he said in verse 18 and 19 at the beginning here. He says this, he says, but rather give place unto wrath. The way that we respond when evil is done to us is that you and I are not firstly to avenge ourselves, but then secondly, we are to rather give place to wrath. He gets first of all the negative response, which is avenge not yourselves, and then he gives the positive response, which is you and I are to give place to wrath. When somebody does us wrong, when somebody seeks to harm us, of course our immediate instinct is to hit back, is to seek to get even, to avenge ourselves. But what we've been told here is that you and I are not to do that. We're not to seek to get even. What you and I are to do instead is to give place to wrath. It's kind of what he's told in verse 17. Recompense no man evil for evil. Don't seek revenge. But provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as lieth in you, you'll live peaceably with all men. Don't seek to avenge yourself, but rather... Give place to wrath. Now, the word give place here means to make room for, give scope or free scope to, or leave it to the thing or person in question. What he's saying is, you and I are not to take things under our own hands. Because to do so, if you and I take things in our own hands, then not only are you and I avenging ourselves, but instead of giving place to wrath, what you and I are doing is giving place to the devil. Look in Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 26. He says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. When you and I do not give place to wrath, but you and I seek revenge, then what we do is we give place to the devil. We allow him to do his work. We allow the devil to get the victory. And so we need to understand that you and I are to not avenge ourselves, but we're to give place. To wrath. Now the question that comes to mind then is whose wrath is in view here? If we'd understand this command, we need to understand what he means by giving ourselves or allowing ourselves not to avenge ourselves, but rather giving place to wrath. Whose wrath is it talking about? Well, in the context of what follows, it seems that it's God's wrath. It's in view, because he goes on to say, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We're commanded here, instead of meditating upon how to exact revenge, instead of uh, considering taking time to think about how to cause uh, others to pay for what they've done to us, to seek revenge upon them, we'd allow God to work. What he's saying here in this phrase is give opportunity for wrath and allow God to work. Do not step forward in anger. Don't strike back. When someone causes us grief, when somebody does us harm, don't strike back at our enemy, but rather step sideways and let your enemy face the wrath of God, which I thought was a great imagery. Okay, so this, there's this enemy standing in front of you who's just caused you offense. And instead of seeking to avenge them, you step sideways and let them see God. Let him deal with the problem. Martin Luther Jones put it this way. He said, do not indulge your wrath, but like the man in the feasts who has to get up and go somewhere else, make room for Give free scope to make allowance for, prepare the way for, leave it to the wrath of God. Let God's wrath do its work. When someone causes us harm, when someone causes us uh, pain, when somebody does something against us, instead of seeking to avenge ourselves, step aside and let God deal with it. I'm coming to say this, how God is just as upset as we are when someone hurts his people, when some wolf mauls one of his lambs. Therefore, what we've been told here in Romans 12, 19 is to allow God to work. Allow God to deal with the wrong that's been done to us. And Paul then quotes from Deuteronomy 32, 35, in verse 19, where he says, For it is written, Deuteronomy 32.35, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. This is why you and I are not to avenge ourselves, why you and I are to give place to wrath, because vengeance is the Lord's. Now notice again, who exacts the revenge, God does. Vengeance is the Lord's, vengeance is not mine, vengeance is not yours, vengeance is the lords and knows the certainty of the vengeance he says vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord god says if you and i will step aside and let the enemy face the wrath of god god will repay god will take care of it god will issue the judgment that needs to be issued upon the one who has done us harm promise here is that if we give place to God's wrath the certainty of the revenge is guaranteed the Lord will settle the accounts we don't need to worry about them that a wonderful truth when somebody does us wrong if you and I will step aside God will deal with that situation we don't have to worry about it all we have to do is seek to live peacefully with all men as much as lieth in us we're to do that. And we're not to seek revenge. We're not to seek payback. We just simply need to let God deal with it. And God said, if you leave it to me, I will take care of it. And you know, that's far better. Because he knows exactly what happened. He knows the motivation of the person that did us wrong. He knows why they did what they did. He knows exactly what took place and he knows who is to blame. Because it may be the person who did us harm has been egged on by somebody else. And the person that's to blame ultimately for this act against us is not the person who did the action they're to blame, but somebody else is also to blame for stirring them up. For causing them to act the way they did. He knows who he was to blame and he knows exactly how he ought to respond. God knows exactly what judgment is required for the act that was initiated. You see, you and I may overreact to the way the person treated us. But God will always act rightly. Justly. And they will get, as the phrase says, they're just deserts. They'll get what they justly des- re- ought to receive, not something that's overreaction on our behalf. If they will, if we will leave it to God. Now this does not stop the courts or the church punishing believe- wrongdoers because Romans 13 deals with that. And God deals with governments, but what he forbids here is private revenge. Somebody said God is the sovereign king, the righteous judge, and to let him and to him it belongs to administer justice. You know the truth is we couldn't judge an exact revenge rightly anyway. Because you and I usually respond to those actions that are done to us in the flesh. Isn't that what happens? We get all riled up because someone has offended us, someone has hurt us, someone done something against us, and we respond usually fleshly because if we were responding spiritually, we would step aside and let God deal with it. If we were walking in the spirit, we would step aside and let God enact the judgment. So you and I respond in the flesh, and when you and I respond to anything in the flesh we usually make a mess of it. We don't usually get it right. This attitude requires faith, a submission to God's will. It's not easy to step aside at times. It's not easy to just let the thing rest. It's not easy not to seek revenge. It's not easy not to seek payback. But you and I, by faith and submission to the will of God, need to do that, if you and I are going to avoid being consumed by hatred and bitterness. And here again, the Lord is an example to us. Look in First Peter, please. First Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter two and verse twenty-two. Let's go back to verse 21. It says, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's the Lord's example for us. He told us that where he leaves us an example to follow, and there was no guile found in his mouth. Why? Because when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he left it to him that judgeth righteously. That's Christ's example for us. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was tested, when he was betrayed, when he was persecuted, when he was judged wrongfully, He stepped aside, and let the Father deal with it. If it's good enough for the Lord, then it certainly ought to be good enough for us, shouldn't it? Somebody said we must never seek personal vengeance, because that's God's work, not ours. It's God's prerogative. That's God's business, not ours. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Then secondly, not only does God want us to turn to him for help, but God wants us to demonstrate his kindness. Verse 20. Therefore if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Instead of returning evil for evil, instead of seeking revenge, instead of seeking to avenge ourselves, God's people are returned good for evil. Therefore, if you're not going to, since we're not supposed to avenge ourselves, what we're to give place to wrath, we're to stand aside and let God deal with it. Therefore, what are we supposed to do? What's our response supposed to be to those who offend us, to those who wrong us, to those who hurt us? What's our response supposed to be? You and I are supposed to look at our enemy, and if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, not only are we not to do our enemy any harm, but we are also to do him positive good. This is essential Christianity, and this is where we so often find the difference between Christian teaching and the morality of the world even at its best and highest. You and I are to do the opposite to what the world would do. Romans, 20, uh, Romans 12, 20 is a quote from Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. Let's go there. Proverbs 25 and verse 21. So if thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink; for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee it's a direct quote and it's an application of Romans chapter twelve, verse seventeen: "Provide things honest there at the end it says, provide things honest in the sight of all men." So verse twenty is really given to us a, a detailed description of what it means to provide all things honest, to provide things honest in the sight of all men. What does it mean to provide things honest in the sight of all men? Well, here is an example of it. That you and I, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If they thirst, give him drink. Now this, of course, is against the grain of the natural man, isn't it? The thought that when someone does us wrong, that you and I would want to feed them, that you and I would go on to give them a drink, seems like far-fetched nonsense, doesn't it? Seems like an unrealistic response. But that's what we're supposed to do. Those of us who are in Christ, we need to remember that we are to walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, then we can do exactly what God instructs us to do here. You and I can feed our enemy and give our enemy drink. Remember Matthew chapter four, 5 verse 44 commands us to love our enemies. This is the enacting of that command. We're to love our enemies. It's unnatural, of course, to follow, but it's the reality of what God challenges us to do. It's the way God wants us to live. You know, so often the way of God is quite different to natural impulses, and he is one of those. What we would naturally normally want to do, our normal response is not the way we're to act. You and I are to do the opposite. It's as if thine enemy hunger. and The idea here is that as we have the ability and the opportunity, we are to be ready to show kindness to those who wrong us. It's important that you understand that it's, we have to have the ability and the opportunity to do it. Because, you know, sometimes there is no opportunity to be able to do this for our enemy. In fact, we know full well that sometimes that uh, we, we just don't get that opportunity. But the reason why we do it, the reason why we act this way, the reason why you and I are to seek, not seek revenge but rather seek to show love towards our enemies is because if we do it, we'll heap coals of fire upon the head. That's what it says there at the end of verse 20. Uh, For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. This means that such behavior the part of a Christian will make the evil doer feel shame and remorse. If you and I respond the exact opposite to which those who are offending us would expect us to react, the point is that hopefully by our godly response, by us loving our enemies, that will cause our enemy to feel shameful for the way they treat us, to have remorse for the way they treat us, and even to repent of what they did. I said this the phrase heap burning coals upon his head may refer to the ancient Egyptian custom. When a person wanted to demonstrate public contrition, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals to represent the burning pain of his shame and guilt. The point here is that when we love our enemy and generally seek to meet his needs, his good conscience will shame him for his hatred. Thus God expects us to leave necessary punishment to him and busy ourselves in loving our enemies. If we love our enemy, hopefully what they will do will bring shame upon them for their action to us in the first place and cause them to want to respond in remorse, repentance, and maybe even get saved if they're not saved. Somebody said the best way to get rid of your enemies is to turn them into friends. And that's what he's saying here we should hope and pray that this will cause the oppressor to repent. Now this is something, of course, that's not guaranteed. You and I cannot... There is no guarantee in this verse that if you and I do respond to our enemy by loving our enemies, then we stand aside and let God to work, and that you and I then seek every opportunity to show good to them, there is no guarantee that they will indeed show remorse, that they will indeed repent. They may well be too angry, too full of hatred towards you and I as believers that that may never happen, but that shouldn't stop you and I trying. Our enemy may not respond, but that's not our responsibility. In any conflict, we're not responsible for the behavior of the person who's causing us pain and anguish. The only one that we're responsible for is us, for our response, for our actions, for the way that we deal with the situation. We're only responsible for what we do. What they do is their responsibility. And how they act before Almighty God is their responsibility. And if they respond to our acts of kindness by more acts of uh, hatred and, uh, and more vitriol against us, that's their problem, not ours. God's word makes it clear that you and I are to seek to live peaceably with all men and we do that by not avenging ourselves but by stepping aside and letting wrath have its way, letting God deal with the situation because it's his responsibility and that you and I just seek our best to show our love to our enemies. You and I are to do everything we can to help the enemy respond in repentance. Warren Wearsby said, the Christian must not play God and try to avenge himself. Returning evil for evil or good for good is the way most people live. But the Christian must live on a higher level and return good for evil. Of course, this requires love because our first inclination is to fight back. It also requires faith, believing that God can work and accomplish his will in our lives and in the lives of those who hurt us. And then Paul now tells us in verse 21 the value of obeying this command. What does does it do for you and I? What's the value of this? If you and I follow this instruction of verses 17 to 20, where basically he's repeated the same thing twice, so that you and I get the point, so you and I understand that you and I are never to retaliate, you and I are never to play payback, you and I are never to avenge ourselves, we're to simply to leave it all to God, and you and I are to seek to live peaceably with all men, and we do that by showing good to those who despitefully use us, then what's the value of doing that? What's the value of obeying that command? In verse 21, we're told that God wants us to be victorious. Look in verse 21. Be, overcome, but, uh, sorry, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The last verse describes what we will be doing as we leave retaliation to God. When we leave it to God to deal with our enemies, then you and I will find that we're not letting evil have its way. When you and I are not letting others provoke us, to overcome us or conquer us, because it only conquers us when it makes us do evil in return. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. When you and I seek to overcome evil with good, then you and I will not be doing evil in return. When we avenge ourselves, we're defeated by the evil of others. I mean, someone else's evil has made us do evil. And then we're no better than they are. And we have failed in our responsibility as believers. When somebody else's evil towards us causes you and I to act and respond evilly, then you and I have engaged in their evil and it's not doing us any good. It's just making us bitter, making us angry, making us sad. Uncle Joan said, if someone is nasty to us and in return we're nasty back, we're both nasty. We seek revenge, we allow the evil of others to overcome us. We allow their evil to drag us down to their level. That's why we're not supposed to avenge ourselves. For when we do, we become bitter, we become twisted and we live in defeat. If you and I want to have victory, if you and I want to have a happy life, if you and I want to rejoice in the Lord, then you and I need to learn this principle of leaving the vengeance to the Lord and you and I just seeking to obey him and love our enemies. That's why uh, the right way is what Paul says next. We're to overcome evil with good. The way to be an overcomer is to overcome evil or conquer evil with good. And if you and I will respond just as we've been directed here in Romans chapter 12, then we will not be dragged into defeat. But rather, we will conquer the very evil that troubles us. You and I will have a smile on our face, a spring in our step, and you and I will have joy in our hearts because we're not seeking revenge. We're not seeking to get even. We're simply seeking to please the Lord. Believers, we're to let God deal with those who do evil to us because that's the only way to ensure that we don't become bitter and defeated. Now, there is a place where God exacts revenge, now on earth. And that's what follows in Romans chapter 13, where he deals with human government. But as we close Romans chapter 12, let us remember that when we avenge ourselves, we've been, over, we've been conquered or we've been overcome by evil. And we need to remember that wrongdoing and hate are overcome only by good. In our thinking and living, we need both resist revenge and seek to love our enemies. It's good never to retaliate, because if we do, evil uses us to do its work. It's even better, though, to seek peace so that our enemy might be saved. The commentator said, if you want to know how spiritual you are, ask yourself, what is my attitude toward those who mistreat me? Am I kind, considerate, and loving in my words and actions towards them? <laughs> how spiritual are we? The challenge for each of us is to ask the question, are these Christ-like characteristics found in us? The commentator Henry G. Bosch said this, To live like Christ is not natural, it's supernatural. only as we yield to the Holy Spirit can we ever hope to exhibit the life of Christ. And so therefore, beloved, let's yield to God. Let's allow him to produce these qualities in us so that you and I might be Christ-like in our behavior every day. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the challenge here in Romans chapter twelve. And Lord, it's so important that you make sure it's repeated twice. That Lord God, our response to those who despitefully use us is that we're supposed to respond in love. We're to love our enemies. We're not to seek to get to heaven, we're not to seek avenge, to avenge ourselves. We're to leave that to you. We're to step aside and allow you to deal with our enemies. and We're to overcome evil with good so that we might not be overcome by evil. Help us to walk in the spirit, to have a loving and forgiving spirit. And help us to seek to live peaceably with all men as much as life in us for your glory. Let's we pray as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.